0: Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto and beyond with your host, NLW. The Breakdown is distributed by CoinDesk. Welcome back to The Breakdown. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, January 9th, and today we're doing a special narrative watch edition. So for those of you who have never heard one of my narrative watches before, It's basically where instead of the three daily topics like usual, I hone in on one kind of theme or story or narrative that I see as a part of the ongoing conversation. In particular, I'm always looking at things that are changing and emerging into more significant parts of the industry. And so today's Narrative Watch is about DAOs and whether 2020 is poised to be the year of the DAO. So let's talk historically about DAOs first. So the term DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, originally referred to a specific organization, and it was meant to fund projects in the crypto space and of course was famously subject to a hack, which ultimately led to the split between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. And there's a lot more to get into, but I think what's worth noting about that history and the history of DAOs is that DAOs sort of escaped the worst excesses of the irrational exuberance of the 2017 ICO boom. And what I mean by that was that people were so cool already on the idea of DAOs because of this hack when the ICO boom happened that all of that energy and attention kind of passed them by. Now, of course, there were some projects that were still passionate about that. There were projects like Colony and Aragon who were working to build a new infrastructure for these decentralized organizations, and within those communities there were obviously lots and lots of people who, just because of the hack, hadn't given up the idea that these new types of organizational forms might matter, but it really didn't, you didn't see an explosion in the number of DAOs or people trying to build DAOs as you did with people just trying generally to to create token projects and go sell their tokens. And I think in some ways that was actually to the advantage of the entire DAO space. Now, The idea of DAOs and why DAOs matter is, for a lot of the folks who are in this space, it seems crazy to them that there is no formal organization structure between, on the one hand, you know, an informal Facebook group, let's call it, and on the other hand, a formalized nonprofit or business. That doesn't seem to fit the world that we live in, where groups come together and form in many, many different ways, and for many different purposes, at all kind of levels of types of coordination, intensity of participation, duration of participation, type of participation. And DAOs, for those who are passionate about them, potentially answer and explain and give a new form that can accommodate all of that, that middle range that isn't a formal and enduring kind of legal structure, but is neither an informal kind of group or association. So anyone who lives in the internet can think of different contexts where this happens. But of course, a lot of the folks who are in the DAO space are focused on DAOs that are organizing and coordinating people and resources around different crypto communities and different crypto projects. Going to this idea of, is 2020 going to be the year of the DAO? Well, let's look back at 2019 first. So in 2019, Stefano Bernardi, who was at the time working with Aragon, he's an investor in crypto companies. He's been a publisher. He had a newsletter that was one of the best in crypto for a long time called Token Economy that still does a great job of summarizing technical developments in the space. He wrote a post called why 2019 will be the year of the DAO. So obviously this meme has uh, some precedent, but he pointed to six different trends that he thought were a reason that DAOs were poised to be on the rise. So the first of the trends he pointed to was the globalization of talent and the transformation of work. So obviously this refers to the idea that we no longer live in a paradigm where working means popping down to the office in your locality. It often means signing into your computer or your Slack room or whatever a world away. And in that context, the way that we organize work and how long people work for an organization, what they contribute, how they get remunerated for that contribution, all of these things are shifting. And, you know, right now we still more or less live in a paradigm of corporations that coordinate efforts, but you know, it's not impossible that the freelancer sites you see around the world and remote teams are actually sort of just part of a larger shift where you may even see the 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 way that Companies are organized, shift. And so DAOs seem useful for that. He talked about stakeholder networks needing coordination. That was the second trend. So, obviously, this gets into these crypto communities that have these big asset pools and treasuries that are trying to do things differently and want a different way to allocate resources that isn't just the traditional command and control corporate model. He talked about the emergence of DeFi and what requirements that might have, again, in terms of governance and coordination. And indeed, governance is his fourth trend as well the normalization of governance participation. DAOs are inherently more involved. It's not like a BlockFi or a Nexo, where you park your crypto assets, and they do something for you. The idea of DAOs are inherently more participatory. And usually, you know, even the DAOs that we've seen, which are explicitly about resource coordination, involve an element of agency and autonomy and decision making. So the more that people get used to participating in governance in these crypto asset networks, the more normalized that becomes. His fifth trend that he pointed to was deplatforming growing as an issue. So this gets kind of into the Web3 critique, let's call it, of the existing web infrastructure that we have today, where people are likely or subject to be deplatformed based on their, you know, political or social statements or beliefs. Especially at the beginning of 2019, there was a lot of buzz and hype and talk about that. And that persisted throughout the year. We've talked previously, we talked, I think, last Friday about whether decentralized social networks are just a pipe dream. But certainly, at least in some nascent way, there is demand there. Finally, he pointed his sixth trend was an upswing in political organization. I think this one is somewhat obvious in the wake of a world that is increasingly unstable, increasingly volatile, and has growing sets of populations that feel like it is just not working for them. The system that we have been gifted is not going to do. In the context of more political organization, which inherently doesn't fit easily into these long-duration type of organizational structures, but needs something more than just Again, joining the Facebook group, this seems like an interesting opportunity. So that was at the very beginning of the year. It was January 17th that he published that. So the question then becomes, well, what is the tale of the tape? What actually happened in 2019? And the short answer is a lot. I think one of the most important things was that we had our first notable DAOs in the wake of the first DAO, right? The DAO. So I think chief among them for a lot of people was Moloch. Malik was convened by Amin Soleimani from Spank Chain and a number of others, and basically was designed as a funding mechanism for public infrastructure for Ethereum projects, right? So they believed that a lot of these different projects that were building on Ethereum had similar needs, similar sets of tooling needs, similar challenges, that really what they needed was a public shared infrastructure, and that perhaps a DAO was a great way to do that. And I think Malik was notable in a couple ways and had a couple big, significant impacts on the industry. The first was that it was actually in some ways a simplification from what some of the other DAO folks were talking about, right? Even in Stefano's piece, there's you know, this huge array of types of DAOs that he's implicating from the way that work gets done to DeFi kind of crypto things to political organizations. Well, Malik is taking a very different and took a very different perspective, which is that this is about resource coordination. The purpose of the DAO is one thing, to pool resources and make decisions about where those resources go. That simplified vision, I think, was to the benefit of the whole DAO space by really refocusing the energy and efforts on that very clear use case. And I think that in a lot of ways, it is this use case of coordinating a shared pool of, of, of contributor resources is the thing that makes the most just logical next step sense when you look at over the last 15 years, let's say, the normalization of crowdfunding, right? Crowdfunding has been normalized to potentially a scary degree. If you look at the percentage of US healthcare costs that actually are, are funded by GoFundMe and people having to raise from their families, there's actually even major questions about the system that it brings up. But nevertheless, the point is that crowdfunding and contributing to shared pools of resources has become normal. It is not a particularly difficult extension to say. In certain contexts, you want not only to contribute to that shared pool of resources, but you actually want to have a stake in how those resources are used. Certainly, that becomes a different type of beast. But that's really what Malik centered the narrative and the focus of DAOs around. It was from here I have some money to here have some money, and I want to say and where it goes. And I think that that's a powerful and natural shift. A second thing that Moloch did was it created a template for others to split out from. Moloch is this very strong brand. It comes from a Ginsberg poem. Moloch was the Canaanite god of sacrifice. So this is not the brand that everyone wants to be associated with it, even though I think it's friggin' awesome and have always liked the kind of more gritty revolutionary side of things but others, that, that wasn't what they wanted. And and moreover, it wasn't just the brand, but maybe they wanted to focus on different things. Maybe they didn't want to fund the same types of projects. Well, we saw MetaCartel spring off and kind of build both a different brand in terms of what they wanted to, to be seen as and how they wanted the community to feel, um, but also something that was slightly different focus in terms of moving away from just funding shared infrastructure for Ethereum projects to really thinking about different types of dApps and just Again, creating another shared pool of resources. These things aren't competitive in my mind in the sense that when you're talking about coordinating pools of capital to do things, there's going to be a lot of things that people do, and different pools are going to be specialized for different, different outcomes and different desired outcomes. So you saw Mollet create a template for DAOs like MetaCartel, but you also saw that even continue. So you saw the Lao, which was announced towards the end of last year which is about limited liability autonomous organizations. So this is a collaboration with folks from Malik and MetaCartel and OpenLaw that is looking at how you could expand them to for-profit ventures in a way that doesn't run afoul of the law, which is obviously a whole different dimension. You saw within the context of Ethereum, the actual, the marketing DAO was announced towards the end of the year. And this is meant to be a DAO that funds effectively Ethereum as a decentralized protocol doesn't have a marketing department. And so marketing DAO is effectively a decentralized outsourced marketing department that can accommodate the contributions of lots of people and is theoretically, you know, they're, they're going after projects like, I think their first initiative is to memify Ethereum in the same way that there's a digital goal. They're looking into what the right core meme for Ethereum is, which as anyone who's listened to my show for any longevity knows. This has been an ongoing debate within the context of Ethereum, what the narrative is forever, right? And it's a constantly evolving thing. I've spoken about the marketing DAO before specifically. I think it's a fascinating effort intellectually. It'll be interesting to see because I think that marketing decisions are so much more usually about gut level sensibilities from a heretic than they are about any sort of groupthink. But maybe they will prove me wrong. I have both interest and skepticism. But the point relevant to this question of the tale of 2019's tape as it relates to DAOs is neither here nor there on what I think about any one specific DAO. It's about the fact that they are starting to pop up in a much more significant way. The very end of the year saw Ryan Zur, who had previously been at Polychain Capital and then was at the Web3 Foundation, split out from the Web3 Foundation to start a new project called the DAO. So in his estimation, this is the closest thing to the intention of the original DAO, for funding in different token projects, and really being a totally different take on capital allocation than the venture capital organizations that we've seen before. And again, with a for profit model, with a lot of different mechanisms to solve some of the early issues, both from a technical standpoint, but also just from a governance and checks and balances standpoint. And so again, when you have someone like Ryan, who really can pick his, his type of project, his community to work with, in this larger crypto community, deciding to focus on effectively resuscitating this idea that maybe got cut short because of this major hack, you have to think that there's something significant there. And lastly, just from a pure numbers perspective, Aragon, which is one of the the leading infrastructures for DAO creation, they have a set of tools they've been building for three years now, building out the tooling for DAOs, had more than a thousand DAOs on mainnet created last year. And obviously, a ton of those are small experiments and, you know, one-off things. And that's fine. Like that's kind of the point of having tooling that makes it easy is to let a thousand flowers boom. But still the fact that it is actually a thousand flowers last year is really, really significant. And so Aragon was actually the context for doing this narrative watch now. Uh, They just announced the other day that they had started recruiting jurors for a tokenized court. And so basically they are trying to create. Uh, subject or offline human-powered infrastructure that coordinates with the objective online resource coordination to allow for more complex use cases for DAOs. And so I think that this is really interesting. Obviously, we could spend an entire episode just talking about objectivity, subjectivity, human participation, what it all means. But I wanted to actually turn it over to Luis from Aragon, who's one of the founders of the organization to talk a little bit about a few things. So first, I asked him, what was the significance of the courts? Why they were a game changer? What different capacity they enabled? So that was kind of question one that you'll hear in this little interview. Question two was, what's an example of a time and when a DAO would need to call in these courts? What does that actually look like? And question three, which is sort of the broadest, was, you know, how much different is 2020 starting in the context of DAOs than 2019? Is this really a sea change? Is this evolutionary? Is this revolutionary? And what does it look like for 2020? So let's turn it over to Luis Quende from Aragon for the answers to those questions.
1: Aragon Court is a game changer in terms of what DAOs can do, because previously DAOs were restricted to smart contracts. And smart contracts don't handle subjectivity very well. So said otherwise, smart contracts really thrive when we're talking about interactions that can be measured on-chain. But when you think about our human interactions, the ones we do with people we work with, they are usually very subjective. So you have a bunch of things that a blockchain cannot decide. So that's where you want a court. That's what you want people to resolve disputes because they can get into the human skin and they can actually understand subjectivity. There are many examples where the court may be useful. I think one example, um, for example, let's say DAOs handle a lot of bounties and a lot of contractors because of the nature of a DAO, which can be an open DAO and then anyone can join and work for it. So I think contractors being kind of an escrow between different parties, it's quite an interesting use case for our own court. So you may basically have one party, which is the DAO, and this DAO wants to contract someone in a sense for work, the same way that protocols do that all time via work tokens. And so this DAO may need some guarantees that the contractor is actually going to perform the work. But sometimes that work is not very objective. Sometimes that work is not just mining a block of Bitcoin and submitting a hash. So it's harder to measure what's right and what's wrong. And so there the DAO may use the court and the contractor may also use the court to get certain guarantees that if the work is completed, the contractor is gonna get paid. I think DAOs are way better positioned now than they were in 2019. I think a lot of the infrastructure now it's built. Uh, We at Aragon spent nearly three years just building this core infrastructure to make something possible that wasn't possible before, which is DAOs themselves. And I think now it's a matter of finding the use cases and actually creating them and iterating on them. And I am so excited because we spent so much time building this infrastructure so that people can create DAOs in literally minutes. And we have started seeing those use cases flourish in the end. So I am very happy about that. I think the prediction that I have for DAOs in 2020 is that we're just going to see another 1,000 of them. So uh, we launched Argon in late 2018, and now we have a 1,000 DAOs on Mainnet. I think we're going to easily see another 1,000, if not many, many more. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: So there you have it. A thousand DAOs in 2019, a thousand DAOs or more in 2020. I certainly think that (laughs) in some ways that's actually a safe prediction. I don't think there'll be any less attention or interest. I guess the bigger question for me is what they actually do, and will within all of these experimental use cases, there be one type of use case that really proves itself as the big opportunity? I think that anytime, obviously, you start to deal with trying to herd cats, i.e. coordinate people, especially when you're coordinating people around money, and you're trying to coordinate around making decisions about money, it's an immensely complex affair. And I think that DAOs need to still be in this category of experimental. But I do think that in the same way that we saw, I believe, DeFi split off in a lot of ways from many other aspects of the crypto industry to really be its own sub-industry, its own phenomenon, its own community, its own set of unique challenges and opportunities that are, if related in some way, basically fundamentally different than the world of Bitcoin and money, I think that DAOs might be or at least have the potential in this year to carve out a similar fundamentally differentiated space. I think this is what it looks like to see the quote-unquote crypto industry mature. People are finding their way to the part of the industry that makes the most sense to them. And often it's for very different purposes and very different outcomes. And in fact, by the time they land where they want to be, it is so fundamentally a field from other things that people call crypto or label as the same industry, that it's hard for them to abide by that label anymore. I don't know if DAOs are going to get there in 2020, but I certainly think that among the emergent phenomenon, it has to be seen as one of the most interesting experiments that has the potential to really grow into something much more significant than it is today. It's hard for me to imagine that over the next decade, we won't fundamentally change the way that we organize. I think that organizational structures and institutional structures lag from the way that people communicate and coordinate already. And I think that they're at their breaking point in in a pretty fundamental way. And maybe DAOs are part of the way that that changes. Maybe it's something else after DAOs. Either way, I think it's fascinating. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Aragon. So that is Narrative Watch. That is the breakdown for today. Uh, We'll be back for a recap of the week and a normal breakdown episode tomorrow. But until then, thanks for listening, and I will catch you soon.